2: Are you ready to challenge the rhetoric? Today is Wednesday, March 16th. My name is Sherry Roberts, and I'm your host, Chelsea Rhetoric. Welcome to the show. Really glad you're here with us. Things are heating up in the primaries. But all this rhetoric is leaving a lot of people cold and maybe even a little confused. There have been plenty of aha moments this past week or so for Donald Trump, and we'll talk about him on a different day. Tonight we're going to be talking about whether or not Hillary Clinton is going to be indicted. I personally don't think it's going to happen, but I have some experts on tonight that are going to help us break down a little bit of things and talk about what is and is not legit about the situation. So we're going to be talking about that. We're also going to be talking about the national security implications uh, of this email controversy that's going on with her. We're also going to talk a little bit about comparisons to former CIA director General uh, and also former general, or I guess, I guess he's still a re- retired general, <laughs> David Petraeus, uh, who I've talked about many times on the show before. We're also going to talk a little bit, if we have time, about whistleblowers tonight. We're going to talk about kind of systemically about whistleblowers and the process they need to go through and, and, and the problems with that. The guests tonight on the grill are Mark Sade. He's a regular guest here. He's a D.C. national security attorney, and we also have former CIA intelligence officer Richard Barlow. Um, we're going to have a Liar of the Week this week, so you need to keep listening to find out who that is. If you want to cheat, you can find uh, the answer to that over on Twitter. You can find me at CPR Newsfeed on Twitter or hashtag CTR, and it should come right up. But before I do anything else, let me, uh, and before I bring on the guests, let me set up the show so that you can participate with us here tonight. And I'm also going to do, right after that, a, a real quick update on the Oregon standoff before I jump into everything else with the guests. So if you're listening live, you can join us in the listener chat room on Blog Talk Radio. You can find the link on challengingtherhetoric.news right there at the top. You can also call in if you have a question or a comment for any of the guests or for me. I can't guarantee that I can take the call, but as time and the flow of conversation allows, I will try. So make sure that your comment or your question is on point. If we have bypassed what you were going to comment on, um then just go ahead and, and disconnect. And if you have another question about what we're talking about, you know, at that point after, you know, the time has passed, then feel free to call back. The number is six four six seven eight seven. One seven nine zero. Be sure to keep it civil in the chat room and on the phones. This is a dialogue, not a debate. Uh, we don't do that here. And uh, I'm not going to entertain any kind of trollery going on in the chat room or on the calls. So if you want to talk, I'm open to all different opinions and ideas and beliefs. And um, the guests are willing to be here and you know, participate in that too. So you can interact with us. Anytime, whether it's the live show or an archive or any day of the week, on the Facebook page. Uh, that's Facebook.com/forward/slash/challengingtherhetoric.news. Also on Twitter, as I said, at CTR Newsfeed. We do use the hashtag CTR. All of the stories that I cover are available on the website at challengingtherhetoric.news. And a quick reminder of this show: as almost all of my shows are rated, P- it's it's rated PG-13. I do that for a reason because. I don't think that we need to use uh, too extreme language to get points across, but also I think that the youth of the country, if they should ever tune in and listen, I think that there's a lot to learn because we're we're forming opinions, we're helping form opinions and and you know, and model minds. So uh, just keep that in mind. So here's a really quick Oregon stand up update. And let me preface this with Many documents became available that I have shared on Twitter over at CTR Newsfeed Feed uh, right leading up to the show, but I haven't had a chance to get through them. They're basically uh, pretrial release motions that have been filed in court, but including for Don Ritzheimer and Clive and Bundy's came out today. Um, so those are interesting, and, I, and, and I'll, dis- I'll dissect them later and probably do a report on those tomorrow uh, in you know in a blog post. However, what, what I can tell you is the Deschutes County Sheriff's Office, because they're the ones that are doing the, the external investigation, they've released two parts of the January 26th incident report on the shooting of LaVoy uh out there on Oregon's Highway 395 between Burns and John Day. There's still more to come. The, the reports, they, pre, they, they, say, they state on each one that this is not the final report. Um, so the first report that came out was 360 pages. And that was a beast. But I went through all 360 pages, and what I did for you is not only did I li- live tweet my way through it, but I compiled all of that into one, uh, you know, one post on dot news. And it's the the most relevant 94 points out of it, kind of in bullet points. Uh, it's kind of gone viral. It's very helpful, uh, and and it's straight from the report. The new report that just came out a couple days ago, the part two of it is 150. I, uh, 170 pages, I believe, or somewhere around there. And I've gone through it. Most of it is kind of like call or the traffic logs on the, you know, the police radios and stuff. Uh, however, what they what they know as officer number three, one of the testimony, the statements we've been waiting to hear is in that. Quite interesting. And, again, um, there will be more on that on the website here within the next day or two. So the other thing that happened is jail talk show host, P. Santilli, he got his bail wish from the Oregon judge, um, but when the Nevada arraignment came, he they they're not giving him any bail. His 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 and and most of the people that are also implicated in the Bundy Ranch, the 2014 Bundy Ranch standoff, they're, th- those charges are 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 much more severe than the charges from the, the Melior Refuge, at least predominantly. Um, it might be you know, just as bad for people like Sean Anderson or maybe David Fry from The Refuge. But but the Bundy Ranch charges are, are they they're extensive. Anyway, so here this is, you know, irony. As you know, Pete Santilli is a friend of mine and uh we've we've done work together and uh I do not agree with what what has happened here as far as what he's done. Not not that I think that he shouldn't be where he is right now. That being said, he is uh, you know denied bail denied pretrial release in nevada after getting pretrial release finally after i think he put five motions in or something like that here in oregon and was going to go to a halfway house so now because he doesn't want to be transferred over to nevada now he's got a new motion into the oregon federal courts to stay in jail in oregon so it's kind of an odd irony Um, more than likely that's what will happen I don't know yet. I don't think anybody really knows yet whether the Oregon trial or the Bundy Ranch trial will be the first trial. I have a feeling it's going to be the Oregon trial. It seems that that will be the easiest um, uh, of the two. As I said, the other one is, you know, so much more. Uh, John Ritzheimer, he also uh, put in a motion for bail for pretrial release. I don't think I don't know if he's going to get it uh, or, or how many motions it will take before he does. He is claiming that he was off his meds. He's probably one of the smart ones by going down a mental health path. I think they probably all should do that. As you know, I'm well on the record for believing that some of these groups, because I've been a part of them in the past, are very cultish or cult-like, if not, in fact, cults. Um, and so, but the really big Oregon standoff story update is that five of the federal agents that were involved in the arrest and the shooting on, of Finnegan, they're now under investigation themselves, apparently, one of them fired one or two shots uh and never disclosed it in any of the the post incident reporting and in fact, five are under investigation because four others also didn't disclose it so there's some sort of hash up going on there. We don't know the details on that yet there is uh, a, 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 a a um you know there's a, a federal investigation going on as well as the Deschutes county sheriff doing their own investigation on it because it involved them and the Oregon State Police at the event. Um one of those shots did uh did actually harm one of the passengers, one of the defendants, and that's Ryan Bundy, who got some shrapnel in his shoulder uh from one of the bullets that did in fact connect with the truck itself. Um and that was right after LaVoy boy had stepped outside of, you know, of the of the vehicle. So the statements, the, the last thing I'll say on that before I start moving in and talking about the, the guests that are on tonight is the statements from both Shauna Cox and Victoria Sharp have now, from all these, uh, f- well, not even from the statements, has nothing to do with anything with the feds or any or local state police or anything to put out there. Here's the deal, okay? Shawna Cox's own video that, that the feds fed finally released, that she's been begging, you know, for it to be released, and all these claims that they made and what they said they shot they saw are obviously not true because in the video itself they are saying they can't see they don't know what's happening so that was rather interesting i I wonder what will come of that but it is it, it was named in the incident report that that had in fact um happened. So um on that note, uh I just want to um kinda jump into like who the guests are and, and what, what we're gonna be doing tonight. The guys joining me, one of them you already know, he's a he's a regular guest here, and um Mark Sade, the national security attorney, he is, you know, he's a great guy. Um but I I probably pass over this a little bit too much. So let me tell you a little bit more about who he is. He is on the line and he's gonna say hello here in just a minute, but Mark is a national security attorney who specializes in litigation and lobbying on matters that are relating to international transactions, torts and crimes, national security, foreign sovereign and diplomatic immunity, defamation from a playlist perspective, and freedom of information and privacy acts. He often represents former and current federal employees, intelligence and military officers, whistleblowers, and others that have grievances or have been wronged by agencies of the United States government or even foreign governments, as well as people of the media, Mark. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Sherry. I'm really, uh, really glad to have you back, have you back again, and um, I know that you know I, I appreciate that you give me so much of your time um, on these. Um, I want to bring on somebody that you know now, and. Um, he is live on the line, but let me tell you who he is. His name is Richard Barlow. Richard is a former CIA intelligence officer, intelligence and foreign affairs officer for the Office of the Secretary of Defense and team leader for the FBI National Security Division. Uh, counter-proliferation program that was out of Sandia National Laboratories. Working as a CIA counter-proliferation intelligence officer in the 1980s, he had learned that top U.S. officials were allowing Pakistan to manufacture and possess nuclear weapons, and that the AQCon nuclear um, network was violating U.S. laws. So he also discovered that top officials were hiding these activities from, Cong- from Congress and was telling the truth would have legally obligated the U.S. government to, to cut off It's overt military aid to Pakistan at the time. So when covert military aid was being funneled through Pakistan to Afghan jihadis in the war against the Soviets. And then in 1989, Richard left to work for the Office of the Secretary of Defense under Dick Cheney. Uh, we all know Dick Cheney on my show. Uh, everybody knows I'm not a fan. <laughs> Got to put that in there. Uh, by this point, the Soviets had withdrawn from Afghanistan. The top officials at the DOD continued to lie about Pakistan's nuclear program. Uh, Barlow here, Richard, our guest, he objected. Because he merely suggested that Congress should know the truth, he became the target of, one, of a very, very vicious retaliatory smear campaign uh that it ended his career. It caused a lot of problems in his personal life as well. Richard, welcome to the show.
1: Nice to be with you.
2: It's uh it's really it's really good to to be there. I mean well to have you here, sorry. <laughs> I don't know where I am right now. I've been having computer and tech issues all day. So the two of you know each other, yes?
1: Yes. Mark and I have been friends for many years.
2: Um So, Mark, let's just jump into this and let's talk about Hillary Clinton. So, initially, you know, all the talk was that it was a security review. Now it's a a federal investigation. Yes, there's like two now, right? I'm sorry,
0: say say it again, Sherry.
2: Um, Hillary, is is it now? You know, initially everybody was saying that it was just security review, but now it is an actual federal investigation. Yes, two of them, right? One on her with the emails, and one to do with the Clinton Foundation.
0: Well, at least one. I'm not sure if the Clinton Foundation investigation has been formally confirmed, but there's been a lot of people from who used to be in the government who have said that that's what they believe.
2: Well, the you know, with these emails, I think that, you know, and here's the deal. People either like Hillary or they vehemently do not like her. There's not a whole lot of people that are in between that are vocal, especially on social media. One of the things is we know that that people like to deflect, deflect, deflect. And we've seen Hillary deflect uh, about the emails and and make comparisons to uh, Colin Powell's emails and to Petraeus and stuff like that. So let's, let's kind of lay this out for the listeners so that they can understand what is of any kind of import to what she did. She had a home server. She had a bunch of emails. There's like 60 or more of them that have now been... Uh, deemed that were classified information. Uh, we're I, going to talk about re- classifying 000, retroactively. Sir.
1: Go ahead. I believe yep. last I saw, it's the number is up to close to 2,000. Right.
0: Yeah, that's
2: correct. 2,000 that were classified.
1: Correct. But we can explain because there's really kind of two categories of things, things that involve intelligence information and things that are classified just as national security, but we can talk about that later. But I'm just correcting you. It, there's a big difference between 50 and 2,000.
0: <laughs> and, and I think oh, certainly, uh, uh, certainly. 2,000 was for was for everybody, not not all of them involved. The former secretary, it, it, all of our staff, it was the, the server itself has a, has over 2,000 classified emails. Right. right.
2: Right. It was my understanding, and and I think these numbers are going to flux and change as this unfolds and stuff. But my understanding was that there was 60 specifically of Hillary's emails that were deemed, um, and and that you know I'm not saying that that number is correct. That's just what's been out there lately in the media as far as her specific. So let me let's let's just kind of lay this out there for the listener because. In my opinion, uh, you know, as an activist uh, and a journalist, I've had different interactions with uh, with hacktivist group Anonymous. And, um, you know, we know we know what they do and what they're all about. I mean, they just did a, a data dump on, on Trump uh, a week or so ago, uh, as one of many, for, you know, that they do on people. You know, these people are really good at what they do. So these emails, even if they were... If she thought to be benign or mundane or or anything like that, if they're classified, it doesn't matter. Correct. Correct. So, yes. Richard, you had mentioned to me about um, that classified information because there's all the talk about retro, you know, you know retro, retroactively classifying something, but that's not really kind. That's more. That's not real, right? I mean, the way you you described it to me is that. If it's it's classified at its origination.
1: Correct, correct. I mean, I think if you'll let me lay this out, and then Mark can jump in. You know, yes, I, I suspect most of what's involved here are emails from Hillary or to Hillary, relating to Hillary, discussing with her, discussing or people discussing with her. What would appear maybe to most of you to be mundane things like her views on foreign policy, on foreign governments, on foreign leaders. The kind of things that, if a lower level official were discussing these matters, might not be classified. But having started my job at the State Department many years ago and seen many thousands of state cables, generally speaking, the views of the secretary of state on the issues that i just mentioned are considered classified at least at the confidential national security level or secret because given that that person is the secretary of state that person's views constitute the views of the united states and reveal our intentions etc you know say we're you know sh- say she says something about a negotiation going on in in Vienna. Okay, this mm-hmm. the, the totality of a Secretary of state's emails on subjects like this would be an unbelievable intelligence coup for us <laughs> if we if we got Vladimir Putin's you know email account discussing all of his views about the United States everything else. Okay, so I have a feeling that's what a lot of this involves. As opposed to, there are other emails that apparently involve actual intelligence sources and methods. Okay, so just to clarify, let let's put aside the private server for a minute. If she was using the state .gov unclassified server, if you under do you understand what I'm talking about? Right? Uh huh. You know, there's a. There's an unclassified state server, which she didn't use. You know, she had a private server. But even if she was using, oh, hold on, Richard, um,
2: Richard, hold on, hold on one second. Um, I don't know if it's coming from. That yeah, it's me. Mars, I'm or? sorry. I've never done okay. it this
1: way. I just killed the volume on my laptop. I just saw your message. I was devoting okay. my total attention right. to talking with you. It's off.
2: No problem. No problem. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead and continue, though. We couldn't hear what you were saying.
1: Even if Hillary had been d- making the same statements and emails on the official State Department unclassified server, it would be a security violation. Does this make whether it was on the private server or on the State server?
2: More. Is that clear? Mark, do you agree with that? Absolutely. So, Mark, um, with regards to what Richard's saying, um, what, you know, you and I talked before, you were on the show before we talked about this, and, you know, already, and but things keep happening along the way. You had made a post, which is what prompted me to want you to come back on. You had made a post on social media talking about um, whether... You know, we're, I was asking you, uh, you know, about this potential indictment, if it would really happen, and you had said that the way the the courts work and everything, that even if she was indicted, nothing would happen until um, after you know the election season. Can you explain that a little bit to the listeners?
0: Well, I mean, it's so difficult to say as to what's going on. I mean, there's there's going to be a lot of pressure on the, the Department of Justice to make a decision, uh, presumably and hopefully in advance of November's election, because nobody wants to be involved with, uh, you know, how that's going to impact if if she was indicted for it. Now, I, I mean, I'll say, even though there's been uh, comments in the press that, oh, an indictment is forthcoming, oh, there's a grand jury. Uh, and I know some of the people who, personally, who are making those statements, and, you know, with all due respect to them, they're all incredibly ideological partisan Republicans, uh, I, I haven't right. seen the evidence yet that uh, shows she would be indicted. Now, there are serious issues. There are serious policy uh, faux pas and poor judgment that she used by using a private server. There are There is certainly legal liability for her and, frankly, even more so for some of her staff or former senior staff uh, in some of the emails. Uh, is that going to be enough to... To indict them, there's, there's so much information and answers to questions that we need that we don't publicly yet know. The FBI may know it, State Department may know it, but, but we don't. So it, it's really hard to say so far, you know, what, what really to expect. Um, the one thing I will say, since you were talking about retroactive classification and, and what Richard said was was totally accurate, you know, there there is such thing as retroactive classification it it is unusual i won't say impossible cuz almost nothing's impossible but it is unusual that it would happen at such a high level as the secretary of state or any cabinet member and their senior staff it would be more likely along the lines of a low level analyst who's who is reporting on something and it's it's in the initial stages of that reporting, and as it develops, that type of information becomes classified later on as it goes up the food chain. Like what Rich was saying was something at the level of the secretary is automatically often at a certain classification level. So it could be as it goes up through the chain, and I've had this with numerous clients, where they've inserted information into the system. it's not classified for them because they had no obligation to protect it from a classification standpoint, but the people inside who touched it in the government, it was classified for them, and people may not know as it moves through the progression in different components and different agencies that it is classified. So in that sense, there is such a thing as retroactive classification. But uh, what there's been so much of with respect to the... The Clinton case uh, is a, a lot of very poor arguments by them, by them, I say, the Clinton campaign, by people either who don't know what they're talking about with classification issues or people who just are trying to sort of pull the wool over, uh, frankly, the public's uh, eyes because cause most people don't understand the classification system. Uh, so that was a kind of rambling answer to hit a bunch of the points you're talking about. Uh, I wouldn't rule out indictment, but we're not there yet.
2: Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, so know, I want to say to – real quick, real quick, Richard, I want to say to the listeners, um, you know me. You know I'm not going to bring you any bullshit on the show, and I don't have any kind of personal agenda or beef about Hillary Clinton. Uh, I'm not a fan, but I'm not a fan of all of them, as you know. So what I do want to bring you is I want to bring you people – that can break some of this stuff down that is so viral in social media particularly. There are these little talking points and these memes, and people don't care to actually know the facts. So for the people that – and I'm going to go to you, Richard, with this question. The people that support Hillary Clinton, that love her – can you, without you know any other kind of rhetoric, can you kind of hit at home as a former CIA intelligence officer, the implications of the home server?
1: Well, I mean, I just want to be clear. You know, in this discussion we're having on this issue, I'm putting on my former intelligence officer, special agent hat. There, there's no partisan issues at all. in looking at this from a purely right, right technical standpoint. And I don't think that there are partisan issues driving this at all. I am quite confident that what happened here was that people, investigators in IG offices and elsewhere, were going through these documents for a totally different reason, okay, for the Benghazi committee, you know, and saw this stuff and went, oh my God, and are just doing their jobs and referred it to the Justice Department. As far as, you know, we haven't been talking about the private server issue and i think there's a lot of misinformation in fact i was watching bill maher last friday you know somebody who i think is you know fairly accurate most of the time whether i agree with all his politics or not he's also very funny you know he said oh well you know all the government officials all the high level of government officials have private service (laughs) this is this is completely untrue no one has private service this is this is virtually unheard of you know we're so, having a little
2: problem with your audio. You're fading
1: out. You are? Oh. Yeah. No, you're did you, back.
2: Did okay, you hear what ahead. I said at all? Uh, yeah. Just yeah, I heard heard it, just, yeah. Yeah, I think we still heard it.
1: Yeah, yeah. We, nobody has private servers that they, they use like this. No I one. Mean, this, is, this, is, this is unheard of. So we have this level of in, in, misinformation out there coming from someone like Bill Mark, you know, and, you know, this complicates the matter much more so, you know, Um, then had this been happening on the state.gov server, you know, and, uh, you know, so, I mean, I think I should let Mark talk about the legal, the legal implications, but I mean, let me just say something about, you know, the legal implications, if I might, you know, you know, what we're talking about here legally is the unauthorized disclosure of classified information. That's what this is about. Okay. And, you know, these things happen. And sometimes they're handled administratively, and sometimes they're handled criminally. They're usually handled administratively. Um, But this is a case where the closures were so extensive and went on for so long by people. I mean, for example, the, the, the example I raised earlier about, you know, discussing a foreign leader, and Mark is absolutely right, you know, we don't have the whole picture here. But I can think of one example that's out there that I saw. Hillary was emailing a foreign leader, I can't remember who, discussing something. And, you know, that email was not classified. There is no secretary of state that doesn't know that those types of communications are classified at the confidential national security level, at least. I mean, there's just no doubt about it, you know. So, um, so, I think so that
2: type yeah, of thing. They're... Well, Go okay. Ahead. So, Mark, let, let's let's nail that home. So, if 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 Hillary or or anybody with that kind of a a clearance, a TS or whatever clearance, okay, if somebody somebody of that level, and they they send an email and wherever they received it, if they say, oh, it's not marked classified, I can send it would they not know on the content alone whether it – don't they have some kind of own personal responsibility for vetting?
0: Well, let me take that in parts because this has been very dismaying to see how this process unfolded, and it is somewhat indicative of actually some of the problems that people do have with with the Clintons and their senior staff, and I would characterize it as, as arrogance uh, in the sense of, they think they know what they're doing when they don't necessarily know. And if anybody challenges on them, they're upset about it. I have been very shocked. And, and I'll add to what both of you said. I, I'm not partisan on this issue. I've I've represented some of her senior, her, her campaign. Let's see. I'm trying to remember her. The guy who runs there, John Podesta, I mean, has been on my board of advisors and <laughs> my, my group, uh, the James Madison project. And, Lanny Davis, who's one of her key advisors, is a friend and client of mine. I mean, I've been tied to to these folks for many, many years. While at the same time, I have three of the FOIA lawsuits against the State Department involving the emails, and I've advised because it was in the New York Times the Republican National Committee on disclosure issues. I don't care what the information says. I just go thank after you, the information and people you, can use with it.
2: Mark. Thank, thank, thank you both, you you and Richard both for for saying that to the listener because that is really important. Mark, you, you're accustomed to who my listeners are, so and, and I understand that you 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 know the importance of that because we my show is really about kind of reaching beyond and outside of what is my choir, but at the same time while I'm doing that, we're helping move our choir forward or my choir forward. So thank you, but go ahead.
0: Absolutely, no no problem. So. What I have been dismayed at is seeing the lack of understanding that the former secretary, who's a former senator, who's, you know, former first lady, former Watergate lawyer, she, you know, she knows or should know classification issues. And her and her senior staff, who have also had very long distinguished careers in government, talk about classification protocols without any understanding of what they mean or are. So the example you were giving, oh, and this was one of the initial defenses, nothing I sent or received was marked classified. Of course it wasn't. You're on an unclassified, unsecure server. You know, you, they all know that they can't send and receive classified, properly marked classified information in an unclassified server. And As Richard said, whether it was a private server or the government server didn't make a difference. That was a red herring misnomer argument that made no sense whatsoever, except to the people in the public who, who don't understand the classification system. Information is classified, not the document. Uh, you could have one word in a document that is classified. So that creates the document to be classified, but it's the word that is classified. And if you redacted the word, the document is then unclassified. So the concern has been that as the agencies have gone through the documents. They have found classified information in those emails or attachments. And it was usually text, obviously, that they wrote. Nobody grabbed classified information from a secure system and forwarded it into the unsecured system. That's very complicated physically, to physically. do. Physically. They did physically. it in their heads. It re- right. Exactly. It, I mean, it can be done in some systems, but it, it's – That's not what happened here. This was basically, you know, they read something in the classified memo or should have known it was classified and then talked about it uh, on the unsecured, unclassified system. And now some of what we now need to know and what Richard was talking about earlier, that, you know, some information is born classified. Some information becomes classified. There's been lots of conversations about what level classification it was. Some has A good majority has been confidential. That's the lowest level. There's been a lot that's been at secret. There's been some at top secret, and there's been some said to be in a SAP program, which is a special access program. Now, that's well and good to hear what those terms are, and that definitely changes the dynamics of the situation, the sensitivity of it, but we still need to know, especially from a prosecutorial standpoint, well, what are we talking about? And some of the statements, and we're going off a hearsay and first and second and third parties saying this is what they understand it. Anonymous sources say this is what it is, you know, so we got to take it all with a grain of salt, but from what we understand uh, some of the particularly the SAP information pertains to CIA drone strikes. Now, I would need to know the specific contents of that conversation to really determine one, their administrative liability in the sense of they could lose their security clearance uh, or should no longer have one or won't in the future uh, or to their criminal liability. And,
2: Okay, Mark. Right
0: now. I want yeah, I, go
2: ahead. Mark, hold on a minute. I want you to pause on that for just a minute. I have to jump over to liar of the week real quick guys so you just stand by. I want the listener to think about what Mark just said and he's going to pick up right where he left off with the comment with regards to drones. But right now it's time for liar of the week. Liar. I promise the listeners a liar of the week this week because I haven't been super consistent with it. I'm I've been really busy covering the Oregon standoff and the Bundy Ranch uh, upcoming trials. So, on that very note, our liar of the week this week is Nevada assemblywoman Michelle Fiore, or Fiori, however you'd like to pronounce it, and she is definitely the liar of the week uh for a couple reasons. So, let me start with qu- quickly first uh, after two days of very intense live stream phone calls between her and David Fry, and at the surrender, the, the two days of surrender coming out of the Malheur Refuge in Burns, outside of Burns, Oregon, Michelle Fiore, who had encouraged and incited all of this behavior to begin with, had promised David Fry that if he surrendered, that she would be there for him, that she wasn't going to forsake him, but yet this week, when it came to his hearing, she wasn't in the courtroom, but she was at the court, at the courthouse. She was there for Pete Santilli, where anybody that's paying a lot of attention to the media uh, is really paying a lot of attention to Pete Santilli's case. And Michelle Fiore just wants to be where the cameras are. She has completely let this, uh, this guy down. Now, for those who are like, oh, what do you care about this guy? He's in jail. He did these things wrong. This guy, if you know his story, uh, and I'm sure that many of them have somewhat similar stories down the road if you get to know any of it, but this particular guy, I don't know him from Adam, but he has been left behind his entire life and that was part of what really drove him to get involved and in, in what this was all about. And this woman made so many promises, and more than 70,000 people heard her do so live, not counting all of the the, the, the shared streams from that. On top of that, she's now going to be running for Congress, and she came out today uh, saying that she, in running for Congress, she supports armed Uh, Takeovers like what had happened And armed defenses in the sense Against federal government Michelle Fiore you're the liar of the week Okay so right back to the Hillary and the drone Topic and the emails Mark There we go
0: So what I was saying is If right now we all know I mean the public we know uh, From media stories Leaks and common sense That the CIA Is conducting drone strikes In various countries Afghanistan, Pakistan, Yemen, etc. But officially, even though we know there is a drone program that the US government has acknowledged including the president, any specific drone strikes that happen, uh while it's acknowledged at times the US government is responsible, it has not been acknowledged officially that the CIA is responsible. And this is where it becomes a little bit difficult Uh, for the the common person to really understand the distinction between something we know commonly, like, you know, what WikiLeaks has done with many documents, even though they've dumped all these classified documents onto the internet for everybody to read and do whatever they want with, the information is still considered classified because the U.S. government hasn't declassified it. So apparently in some of these emails, and the CIA would consider any mention of it uh, conducting a drone strike to be a SAP type material, very highly sensitive, that, uh, you know, they would have had conversations like forwarding a New York Times article that said, oh, there was a drone strike in Pakistan yesterday, and one of the senior staff writing in the email to the former secretary, uh, here's some information on the CIA drone strike. That would be considered by the CIA to be a uh, secret or top secret SAP type information. If that's what we're talking about, no one's going to get indicted. For that now
2: no, i don't but, know if that person
0: who's yeah, go ahead i'll, I'll just add what I, richard i don't th- i don't think I anybody just want to add I don't, they, to maybe they Mark won't have saying, their clearance after the after that but i don't think they'll get indicted to, if that was it but we don't go ahead, Richard. okay yeah
1: richard, i mean this reminds ahead. me my my first job i was the intelligence officer for the non-proliferation bureau at the arms control agency in the state department and i remember my the assistant director norm tarrell would would delight in I would walk in to brief them with top secret code word material, and they would sit there and look at me very, very seriously, and I would get done, and then they'd hold up the New York Times. You know, I mean, these things do happen. But I, I can assure you what the agents are doing, and Mark is right in general, but what the agents are doing is looking at the content of the email they're concerned about and the content of the top secret SAP document that, Hillary or whoever had access to, and looking for the language in that document and seeing if that language, which might be a little bit more specific than just there was a drone strike in, you know, Balochistan or whatever, you know, that's different. That's different.
0: And I I don't disagree with what Richard's saying. That's That's why it's so important that we need to know specifically, and we may never because it's classified you know so the the justice department right. will have to make a decision as to how you know what whether this rises above an administrative disciplinary action into the the realm of prosecution but the, what i the point i'm making on this is that the mere fact that people have said this information has been now classified or should have been at the time as a as sap material is serious but not necessarily raising or rising to the level of prosecutorial.
1: Right. Mark, if all of the classified listener. intelligence emails fall into that category, I totally agree with Mark. But we don't know that. Yeah. We don't
2: know. Right, exactly. We don't. Um I have a question I'm going to go to Mark with this question um and and let's let's uh keep the answers brief because I have a few more questions as well. A listener wants to know um from a legal, pr- legal perspective what was I mean she says it so that she can check her emails all in one and blah 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 blah. But if that isn't the case, what is the the difference for her? What's the advantage or the disadvantage of her having this private server in
0: her home? Well, and one of the sure. first things they sure said has. as as an argument was that it was convenient for them to do this. I'm right. sure it was convenient for her to do this. It was a blunder of a policy decision. And the story that hasn't come out yet, uh, which I, I know I've plugged to journalists, but it's, it's going to be a difficult story to create because it's going to require some inside sources, is who in the world in the State Department knew of this and never said anything or did say something and it was ignored? Because And Richard right. said this earlier, sure. Senior officials in the government, and in fact, almost everybody in the government has used their personal email account for some work-related activities. That's normal. Yeah. There are many legitimate reasons why, but but not to the extent that she did. I'm talking about they're working, they're teleworking from home. It's not the system is not working. They can't they can't uh, sign on to their government system, so they use their their work their personal email for some work. They cc their government account or they forward the answers and, and send messages to their government account. The government account always has access to it. No one has ever done per work-related business to the extent this secretary and her senior staff did. And it was very likely against multiple policies and, uh, and laws particularly because she never and laws and laws because she never, and her staff never incorporated the business on the personal server into the government account. That that's the big distinction from most others. Now that said, and and I know Rich and I've talked about this many times, the slippery slope of all of this is this is not, the server aspect is unique, but the fact of using personal emails, no, not unique. The, The fact of, if they looked at any cabinet official, member of Congress, senior staff, I guarantee you almost everybody would be found to have some level of classified information in their personal, in their unclassified systems, government accounts, person, doesn't matter what. It, that happens well, all the time. Well, he's not
2: done. Wait, hold, hold, hold <laughs> on. Is it, is it safe to say that, that maybe Clinton is thinking that, I mean, I, I'm guessing that, she installed private servers because she thought that that would make it safe. Whatever she was, her her communication. Well, with, I mean, I versus just we we've we've heard
0: servers. we've heard convenience, and there were some emails that made it that insinuated it could be interpreted differently, but it insinuated and can be interpreted that part of it was to avoid the Freedom of Information Act so that they could do business and not be subject to FOIA. And that is well, obviously that, right a very there, that
2: right there, any any Hillary supporter, anybody that, that wants Hillary to be the president or or any other authority in this country, okay, we're talking about potentially somebody who is trying to work around, okay, do a work around FOIA. That's not okay. Richard, you wanted to make a comment, and but, go but ahead, yeah, but I also and want you to comment. Yeah,
0: I'll let Richard I also jump in, but want... just to be clear, I don't think that was Hillary who said that. I believe it was either Cheryl Mills or Huma Abedin. It was her staff, senior staff who made that comment, not, not the former secretary.
2: Okay, great. Thank you. Um, Richard, I want you to go ahead and comment on that, but I also um, would like you to uh, – you said something to me when we spoke yesterday. You said something to me that I think the listener needs to hear, and that's how you compare uh, the difference between what Petraeus did versus what Hillary did. It's not apples to apples, it's more apples to oranges, the way you described it to me.
1: So go ahead. Sure. Well, first, let me just say, I mean, you know, I find it difficult to comment on the private server. I mean, I, I agree with Mark that you I can't think of any other explanation than to avoid FOIA, but beyond that, I mean, it's too mind-boggling for me that anybody would think of doing anything like this. I'm, You know, it's it's beyond my comprehension. So it's hard for me to comment on it. I mean,
2: I think, it, I think technology it, it, itself—I really do. I, I do believe, and, and it's something I talk about on the show often—is uh, technology has changed a lot of things, and it's changed a, a lot of how we do things. And protocols necessarily haven't caught up to technology. No matter how tech tech savvy a you know an ABC uh, you know an alphabet place is, but uh, th- the thing is, is that when it comes to how people truly use things in in the sense like that. I just don't think that we've caught quite up to technology, including with whistleblowing. But go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt.
1: No, I, I don't think, I mean, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I, I don't think it's an issue of technology. It's it's hard for to explain to outsiders that the thought of a government official going, hey, I'm just going to put a server in my house. I mean, it's, it's beyond comprehension. I mean, you know, I totally agree with Mike Hayden on this, so I can't comment. As, in terms of the motive, the private server aside, right, I, I fully understand what the motive here is. The motive was convenience. I'll tell you, as somebody who's spent 25 years in the intelligence community, it's extremely inconvenient to conduct business because we have to use classified systems to communicate it's very inconvenient and that's what this is about but it got totally out of control and the difference between
2: what Petraeus and she did
1: the difference is that while Petraeus disclosed very very highly classified information lots of it it was to a single individual his girlfriend who I think also have a security clearance. And in terms of a compromise, I mean, we have to worry about two things. There's the disclosure, the unauthorized disclosure. And then I think another aspect of it that looks at is looked at perhaps in terms of whether it's handled administratively or criminally could be the compromise and the damage to national security. Okay. In the case of Petraeus, it went nowhere. Okay, don't get me wrong, I mean, Petraeus needed to be prosecuted in my view, but in the case of the the quote hillary and as you know Marcus pointed out it wasn't just Hillary, it's her senior staff you know we 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 know in essence that and they knew and they knew more importantly that server was connected to the open internet, anybody with the level of clearances that all of us meaning Hillary, her senior staff, and I have know that when we put something out on the open Internet, it will be almost certainly compromised to sophisticated foreign intelligence services, who, by the way, don't have to directly hack into the server, is all I'll say. So they knew that. So all of these emails, whatever they contain, we have to assume that they are in the hands of people like the Russians, the Chinese, etc., and and others. You know, and, and they knew that when they did that. We all know that. We are all free. Okay. So the we're damage lo- the potential damage depending the potential damage depending on what's in some of those intelligence documents. And as I said to you, the the treasure trove potentially of the Secretary's views on a broad range of foreign policy matters, for how many years? I don't know. This went on. You know, that is something that is, I think, potentially poses a very serious damage to our national security. And I'll put it to you this way: I think Mark would agree. If 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 anybody else lower down did any of this, you would be a fired, and absolutely, even with Mark as an attorney, would never have a security clearance again. <laughs>
2: Yes, yeah, yeah, so. I, I, I would agree, and, I, and I'm just a lay person
1: on this. Putting aside prosecution, putting aside prosecution, so you potentially yeah. have an issue here where, and, and I'm, I'm not making a partisan statement in the least, you have a potentially, potentially, we don't know what's going to happen, we don't know, you know, potentially you have an issue, even if there's a criminal, not a criminal prosecution, where a presidential candidate, wouldn't get a security clearance, of course, the president doesn't get cleared. The president is presumed cleared is my understanding in an election we don't We don't do a security clearance on a president, but <laughs> that would be the situation that could potentially
2: occur well isn't it true that uh, w- w- richard isn't it true that the FBI hasn't even actually officially questioned uh, Hillary?
1: That's my understanding, and, and and that's I don't understand that because you know as an investigator that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean,
2: that's it, it the kind of it doesn't to me either. And and again, I think that's something that the listener that's that's a key point. I want I want to like kind of drill into the listener. Um, you know, I just want you to think about that a little bit. I I'm gonna have to start moving it in, into the close now, guys. So I I, I do have sure. a question because I think this is very relevant to my general listener. Uh, because uh, there's a lot of activists out there that follow me, uh, because I am an activist. And something just recently came up when I was messaging Mark yesterday or the day before, and I kind of hesitated for a minute. And it was the first time I ever hesitated, and I know that my hesitation was stemmed directly from everything that has gone down uh, with the Oregon standoff guys, particularly Pete Santilli, the, the talk show host online, because he was my friend, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, Mark. You know, I said the thing to you because Anonymous put out um, a video. Uh, they declared war on Donald Trump, uh, and they re- refreshed it, revived off Trump, and they did a spin And when they do their spins, it's got all sorts of information. And um, most of it seemed pretty mundane of what they had in there. I've seen worse on others, and I'm sure there's more to come. But my question is, is when we're thinking about people like Barrett Brown, um, is it okay for me... Whether I'm a journalist or not, as an activist, if I see Anonymous or WikiLeaks or somebody like that come out with something, and I want to hit the share button on it, what is there any implications towards the activist for doing so? When it's you know personal well, data, the... social security numbers, you know all that sort of stuff.
0: I mean, anyone who who would continually share information that might be legally protected could still be. Uh, having have liability i mean for example in defamation cases it would be just be called republication so like if there's a person a makes a defamatory statement in writing or verbally and person b repeats it it increases the liability for person a but it also creates liability for person b so uh and the same thing if we bring it back into the classified arena Uh, When I I lecture on the subject to explain to people just how the Espionage Act laws are written, which are 100 years old for the most part and haven't been amended since the Korean conflict, if you you print out a copy of a WikiLeaks posted document that is marked secret, you are in possession of a classified document and a copy of it, obviously, and you are in violation of the Espionage Act, one portion of it, and you could be prosecuted. (laughs) Now, are you going to be? No, of course not. The the government's not going to go after anybody like that. When journalists have classified information and they're writing about it in the New York Times, on Fox News website, whatever it might be of any ideological bent doesn't make a difference. They are all breaking the law, but the policy is not to prosecute journalists for repeating classified or possessing classified information. They go after the leakers. Uh, But... The the law doesn't mean that you're protected. There are sometimes there is immunity for certain issues. So if you post things on message boards, some the Communication Decency Act, there are certain laws that protect that type of posting. Uh, but it, it it varies in the context that you do it. So the, the the long answer, or now circling to the short answer to your question, is it, it depends on the the context.
2: Okay, but so but I wouldn't more, rely on the I'm fact that to... you're safe. Right, right, for sure, for sure. So, Mark, um, do you have any final thought for the listener on anything that we just discussed tonight or anything that, because you know my audience, anything that you think that they need to know moving forward on on what we talked about before I cut you loose tonight? And thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, I think the key thing is that everybody needs to hold back on on voicing their conclusions on both the right and the left. When I see all the comments on the right that Hillary should be indicted right now, no, there's, that evidence is not there that we know of, and I, I'm pretty confident that, that very few people have any greater knowledge than I do unless they're actually inside the government right now. And just because you have a source from inside the government doesn't mean that source is not biased in some way or the other, because obviously people are ideological in the government. And then if you're on the left and you're saying she hasn't done anything wrong, she'll never be indicted, I would hold your course as well, because you don't know what you're talking about yet either we we don't know yet we just know liability exists uh based on what has been stated by the government and we need more facts to develop before we know exactly what will take place
2: but the liability is real
0: right so oh, absolutely the liability is real and All and right, i would Mark, dare say we, I, I think some of them should not have a security clearance any longer
2: I would I would Regardless agree with that, and I think I think, I think Richard's going to agree with that as well. Mark, thanks again for coming on. I wish we could have got a little bit more into whistleblowing here at the end of the show. We ran out of time. Hopefully, you'll come back with Richard because I think the two of you together can really do um, a great service to the listener on that. Thanks so much, Mark. I really appreciate you. Um, Richard, Anytime. did you want to comment? Did you want to comment? Um, uh, do a final thought on anything that we discussed here tonight for the listener?
1: Well, I'll just open it up since we don't have time for the next discussion, because there's a direct relationship between this case and whistleblower, and that's the double standard. Because remember, what this is about is unauthorized disclosure of classified information, and that's what whistleblowers are attacked and prosecuted over. So Exactly. These people that's a great point. are deciding to unauthorized disclosures of thousands of pieces of classified information. And what's gonna happen to them when a whistleblower discloses one piece or two pieces of classified information to a reporter or to Congress, to a member intelligence oversight committee. You're still under existing law, you can be fired, have your clearance revoked, and be prosecuted for doing what I just told you, with anything.
2: Well, you know, I I think that um, people need to understand that. And I think that from the activist world perspective, they they want more whistleblowers. But I don't think that they understand the true dilemma that a whistleblower has so again I I hope that you can come back another time Richard so that we can really dig into maybe a full just one the whole show be about whistleblowing I appreciate you coming on thank you so so much I wish we had more time but I do need to close the show
1: okay good night enjoyed it
2: so if you miss any of tonight's show, the archive uh, on Blog Talk Radio should be available within 5, 10, 15 minutes of uh, the end of this here in a minute. You can also find it on YouTube by morning at Challenging the Rhetoric Station there. Just do a little Google search. It should pop right up. If you like what you hear and you like what I'm doing and you want to make a financial co- contribution to the show, you can find that at challengingtherhetoric.news. In the left sidebar, there is a PayPal link for you. Um, I don't normally ask for donations. It's kind of it's something that you want to do. But I do encourage you to share the show. I encourage you to share the articles that I write. I work my butt off uh, to do this, and it really is a labor of love for me um, because I think that I've come from uh, many different places where I can speak on certain things that I think that people can hear and maybe resonate with a little bit. Make sure you hit me up on social media. You can find me at ch- uh, facebook.com forward slash challenging the rhetoric dot news, and again, at CTR Newsfeed on Twitter, hashtag CTR. I'll be back next week, and uh, on Wednesday, I might pop another show, a special show in between now and then, I'm not sure. But don't forget, First Thursdays, Challenging the Rhetoric Series, Sickness of Silence, every First Thursday. Next one coming up, April 7th. I'll be back next Wednesday. Thanks for listening.